Well, good morning, Olive Branch. One of those could say NFL fans. How many guys are excited the NFL season's back? All right. I was actually given this jersey to wear, so it's, I mean, the San Diego Chargers. Wait, um, L.A. We'll talk about past labels later. Uh, Sorry about that. Um, Anyway, yeah, we're we're having some fun. There's some hot dogs and some some nachos and stuff out there for after service. And you wore your jersey uh, for your team you're rooting for. You labeled yourself. Awesome. Uh, We're just, uh, we're out to have some fun today. But at the same time, I want to be conscious of what's going on also out in our country right now. As as we speak throughout this morning in these services, we know that uh, Hurricane Irma continues to hit landfall and continue to do its death. Devastation. And so we want to pray for our brothers and sisters who live in that area, along with our fellow Americans who are going through this time. And so we want to just lift them up and uh, ask God's mercy and grace. So before we get into the message, would you join with me in doing that? Father, we do. We come before you as a church, as all a branch. Um, God, we love you and we want to live for you, but we know that there are people in the midst of this that um, need our prayers right now. And we ask that you would please, um, please set your mercy upon them as this hurricane goes through. May it speed up, move, fa- get out of the way faster. May you just calm it down to a tropical storm sooner. May it just, uh, the amount of devastation be minimized in the situation. Father, as they've prepared and they've been ready, would you just bless the churches to be on guard, ready to go, just um, ready to fire out with the gospel and and aid and help in every way possible? And would you just allow um, God, whether it's the whether it's the uh, whether it's the Southern Baptist Relief Fund or the Salvation Army, Lord, we we just ask that you would give them many inroads to continue to care and enough. Uh, financial ability to do so. Thank you for these two organizations that continue to give the gospel at the same time as meeting needs. And Lord, we know that those two being the second and third largest disaster relief agency in the world, we pray you'd bless them both. And we pray that you would also just continue to keep care of those volunteers and those workers who right now are working in Harvey and many who are now realizing there's going to be more to be done in, uh, in Florida. We pray that you would just give energy and hope and help. God, may there be no deaths. Keep it safe. And if there has been any, just, just bring your comfort. And we pray that you would just be exalted in all of this and that people would understand that you are a good God in spite of a horrible world that we've, because we've rebelled against you and we've broken this world. And we pray you just, um, just, just help. Just, just aid us now and aid our, our country, our countrymen. And all of God's children said, amen. You know, I, I really, um, like I said, I don't really have a football team, and, uh, but I, I did have and so, like I've been telling people, I, could, I didn't have the opportunity to really pick a team. By the time I was old enough to get a team and be excited about football, um, the, the, uh, the Rams had moved away. And then, uh, and then I was left with the, uh, the Raiders, who then moved up to Oakland. And you didn't choose the Raiders when you lived in Riverside when I was younger. That was kind of a dangerous, dangerous idea. So um, I kind of just left the football alone. Instead, what I, was, what I was focused on for myself was my basketball career my, in high school and, my, and the various things. And some of us know what it's like. How many guys played sports or ladies played sports in, in high school. Throw your hand up real quick. And, and you still look back to those days. You love them. You're excited about them. You enjoy those. I, I look back. I was, on, uh, I was on Corona High School's basketball team back when they had a good, a good basketball team. And uh, we actually got to get to the, semi, the semifinals of CIF. And it was, it was an exciting team to be a part of. I mean, I was deeply, deeply involved on the bench. In fact, they had to... <laughs> 
And they had to like, they, the, the crowd used to cheer for the guy who got to go in before me because he was more popular at school. And so we'd get to go into the very end of games if we were leading. And so it was one of those, it was one of those interesting things. I focused more on my track. I, was, uh, I did all the field events, long jump, triple jump, high jump, shot put, and discus. I tried pole vault. It was a little too scary. But um, so I wound up being the team captain, getting to do that. And I live in those glory days, to be quite honest. I never thought I would. But just even last night, I, I mean, I loved jumping. I had a 42-inch vertical in high school. And so, you know, I'll, I'll sometimes just see if I can still make it up. Last night I jumped up on the stage to grab a microphone and jump down. I was like, yeah, I did it. Yeah. But last week after church, I didn't do very well. I was headed off to go see my, get my kids out after second service. And I saw the, the bars and I'm thinking, I don't want to run around. So I decided I was going to do the nice little grab, leap, flop and look really cool. I missed. I totally hit my foot. I fell down. I, I nearly hit my face. People around me are like, are you okay? Are you okay? And other people are like, that's not my pastor. That's not my pastor. You know, so yeah, um, you can't live in your glory days for too long. You, you, you lose out on your strength. Things change um, and life changes. But uh, hey, you know, um, some of us have these things in our past and we love to enjoy them and we love to stay focused on them. And we're going to talk about these things of our past. We're going to talk about these events of our, of our history because they can become labels. We're talking about labels still and we're discussing the fact that the labels that we wear shape the lives that we live. And in fact, our past labels are some of those that, that can have a great effect on us and they can cause a lot of heartache and pain or joy and, and expectation in our lives. And I'm, I'm mainly focused on this conversation because there's something about past labels that are important for us to realize. And it's about the idea of, of focus. It's about the idea of where you're looking. You see, there's a general truth when it comes to labels, that where we look directs where we will go. Where you and I end up pointing our eyes and focusing our lives end up where we wind up headed. And this is basically true. I, I used to teach kids, and, and I'm not a good snowboarder, so this isn't like I can teach them. It was like I used to get kids who didn't know how to snowboard, and they would only come with me because I was the youth pastor. And we'd get up on the, on the, on the blues, and I would say, here's all you got to do. Just point and look at your finger, and where you're going to point is the direction you're going to end up going as you go down this hill. It's that easy. Don't point over there, or you'll fall, so just stay point. And so we would do that. And I'd get them down the hill just fine. Stopping them was a different question, but they could get down just fine. Because where you point is where you go. Another friend of mine was talking about the fact he took a AAA safe driving course once. I don't know if you've ever taken one of those. He's like, yeah, they talk about in one of the lessons that um, when you find yourself off the road, I'm like, wow, this is a really safe driving course. They're teaching you how to survive off the road. You find yourself off the road, people invariably hit a tree. And they say, the reason they hit the tree is they look at the tree. You don't look at the tree, you look in between the trees and you'll drive through the trees. And that was the rule in AAA. It's true, where you look directs where you will go. It's also true where you look when it involves your labels, involves where your life is going to go. So I want to kind of show you how this begins to work. And I want to show you with a, uh, give you guys an illustration of a man that we all know. His name is Moses. He's in Exodus chapter two. And if you want to look at this, we're just kind of going to breeze through the, the story of Moses quickly for these, four cha- these uh, two chapters. But I want to take him and show you just something from the life of Moses. 
Now Moses, in the beginning of chapter 2, is born, and he's born in a hostile time period in which uh, Egypt has outlawed the birth of male children uh, for the Hebrews, and so they're killing them. And so mom saves Moses' life by putting him in a basket, and he's whisked out of the water by Pharaoh's daughter, and then he's taken and raised in Pharaoh's actual home, and is actually given that opportunity to uh, also have his mother with him as his nurse. And so he learns both Egyptian history and knowledge and the Hebrew stories, and so he he becomes kind of this perfect person in the middle of a very difficult time period. And so Moses walks his way out one day after he's grown up and he's been in the household for many, many years. And he sees an Egyptian man who is beating a Hebrew man. And he has this moment where he's like, this is not right. These are my people that are being beaten. And he attacks the Egyptian man, kills him and buries him in the sand. And so kind of keeping that on the down low, he disappears in the background and One day he goes out again and he sees a Hebrew man and another Hebrew man man fighting and he stops them and he separates them and he confronts one of the men and this man he confronts turns to him and in chapter um, 13, he goes, why did you strike your companion? He said, who made you prince and judge over us? This man says, do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Now Moses was afraid. And thought, surely the thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. And then he meets this woman. And he helps her out. And he does this heroic event. Winds up marrying her and lives in Midian then from that point on for the next 40 years. So he's lived 40 years in Egypt, now he's going to live 40 years in in Midian. And all of his education, all of his knowledge, all of this calling that he felt he was supposed to do is just shut down. And now all he does is he shepherds the sheep. Walks around, feeding the sheep, walking the sheep, watering the sheep, feeding the sheep, walking the sheep, watering the sheep, shear the sheep. That's about his life at this point. One day, it says in the beginning of chapter 3, he's watching over these sheep, and he comes across an odd-looking bush that's on fire, but it doesn't burn up. And it's near the mountain of God, and he says to him, so I'm going to check this out. He walks over, and God says, Moses, Moses, he says, here I am. He says, take off your shoes. I'm, I'm the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so Moses hides his face because he was afraid to look at God. And then God asks him to do this. I've seen the affliction of my people in Egypt, he says, and I want you to go to them. I want you to go and I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my children leave. Tell them to release it. We all know that story. Let my people go. You write that whole song. But this is Moses' response. But Moses said to God, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and, and bring the children of Israel to Egypt. I mean, you got the wrong guy here, God. I, you, I'm not the right guy for this. I mean, who am I? And God could have said, what do you mean, who are you? I put you in Pharaoh's house. I gave you an education of, the, of Egypt. You're also a Hebrew. This is the, you're the perfect guy for the job. Go to Egypt. You got this. No, he doesn't say that at all. He says, it doesn't matter who you are. I'm God. I'm going to be with you. Go. And Moses is like, um, no, verse 13. Then Moses said to God, well, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, they're going to say, well, what's his name? And what, what shall I say to them? Now notice what's going on. I believe this is an echo. He's sitting here, he's saying, well, if I go to the people of Israel, they're going to go, by what authority are you coming to be prince over us? Who made you judge? 
And what you're seeing here is an echo of Moses' past, of this man who stood up and rebuked him for stopping their fight and him freaking out. And this is a whole picture. There's something in Moses' past, I believe, that's holding him in captive in this moment. And he's sitting there going, no, 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 you got the wrong guy. My, my history doesn't matter. Pharaoh wants to kill me. I'm not liked in Egypt. I'm not liked by the Israelites. And God says, hold on, time out. You know what? You're going to tell him my name. Tell him that I am sent you. And this is important because the, when you had the name of a God or you had the name of somebody, you had power over that person. In essence, what God is saying is he's saying, here's my power. I give you my name. Go tell them that I am sent you. And so he's, he's been given this opportunity to go say that, but he stops. He says, but behold, they're not going to believe me or listen to my voice. They're going to say, the Lord didn't appear to you. And this is super resisting to me. Like, they're still not going to believe me. Just because I say I know your name doesn't mean they're going to believe me. I mean, I can't do anything. He says, okay, hold on, time out. Here, I'll give you three signs. Throw your staff on the ground. It turns into a serpent. He says, put your hand in your cloak. It comes out, it's all leprous. And he, does, and he says, next sign, when you get there, you pour stuff into the, in the Nile River, and it's going to turn to blood. Then they'll believe you. And Moses replies again after he does these three signs. Oh, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Notice he's referencing his past here. He's saying, I'm not a guy. Some people say he's a stutterer. He's a bad speaker. What I have a tendency to think is, it says not in the past. Well, I think we should be referencing what past event is he not a good speaker at? When he's confronted about being the prince, who, who made you prince and lord over us? I think Moses is sitting there going, why didn't I stand up? Why didn't I rise up and say, look, God has given me this providential moment. I was raised in the house of Pharaoh. I am fully a Hebrew. We should stand up and rise together. Let's go. But he didn't. He didn't have an answer. He didn't have a reply. He, he was tongue-tied and, and shy and backed off and he moved away. A regret from the past. An event of the past he feared. All of this eventually, and God says, did I not make the mouth? Did I not make people to be deaf and able to see and all this stuff? Can I not make you able to speak? And, he, and then he just kind of answers, Lord, just please send somebody else. You're seeing a man so captive by his past. Captive by the fact that he had murdered, captive by the fact he'd been rejected, captive by the fact that he was not going to be able to be used. He was so sure of it, it would eventually take his brother and him to do it together until finally Moses would rise up into the position that he would, we would know him as. But Moses is a great example of how powerful labels of the past can be. In fact, the labels of the past can be the most powerful of our lives. And we need to identify those labels of your past because they're the ones that can suck you down and destroy the calling of God in your life. They're the ones who can wind up destroying your ability to move forward as a human being. You see, the labels of the past involve the labels of the things that you've done. Some of you cannot get off the things that you have done in the past. Maybe you've, you're an alcoholic, and you go to meetings where you say, I'm an alcoholic, or, or you're some kind of addict, and you say, I am this thing. And in a bad meeting, and I'll just be honest, I've been to some bad meetings of these kinds, they focus on everything they've done. This is what I did, and this is what I did this week, and this is what I did last week, and this is what I did. And, and it's supposed to be about the future. It's supposed to be about who you're going to become, about how you're going to be free. But you get so burdened by who we are and what we've done that the past begins to define them. 
Some of you have had an abortion and you've never been able to let it go. You have never been able to work it through and let go. It's defined who you are. Others of you have found yourself in a bad business transaction. You've been divorced or there's all kinds of things that honestly, it has become the very definition of who you are in your mind because of what you've done. Maybe even thinking, God could never love me. I'm such a sinner. Maybe you're a Christian and you think, well, I'm just a sinner. I just can't beat this. You know, some of our past labels are not so much what we did, but they're what's been done to us. Some of you have been abused. And with enough women in this room, there's enough women to believe that a a good majority of you have been abused in some manner, according to the statistics. And it's hard to let go and move beyond some of that abuse and and, uh, beyond any of that kind of treatments. And so that you find yourself in certain scenarios flashing back to those moments, going through the trauma again and dealing with those things. And yes, you're going through counseling and things, but you can be in a dangerous position of letting it define you. And suddenly becoming the way that you think of yourself and you become a victim. Or you think back of how somebody took your job or how somebody has treated you in the past and it's destroyed your ability to move forward or progress. Or maybe it's something you missed out on in your past. You you didn't take that degree. You should have gone to college, but you didn't do it. You should have stepped forward in that one event and you didn't step up well enough and and you missed out. And now you, you feel like you're just stuck. Whether they're positive or negative, you may have great positive backgrounds. Man, you had a 42-inch vertical and you just can't get over it, right? It's not there anymore. And you're just striving to be what you used to be, what you could have been is haunting you. Positive or negative, these past ones are powerful. And they honestly begin to make us feel like we can't change. They set a trajectory and a destiny. In fact, other people you'll meet from your past, they still think you're that person and they won't let you go. They still think you're that person from high school or college that you may have changed. And the danger is that the labels can be most powerful because of that sense of destiny that they associate with us. But I want to tell you something. It's where you look. It's where you're focused. It's where you, where you look is where you end up going. And that's the, that's the secret. That's the situation I see most of us doing. Looking back at our past, directs our lives at those labels. If all you're doing is constantly looking back to your past, focusing on your past, what are you going to end up becoming? Like your past. You can't let it go. You'll live there. It's where you're at. It's where you're going. You're progressing or you're trying to work against it. You're so afraid of ever doing it again. You're so afraid of ever going there again. You're so afraid of being victimized like that again. You live stuck in your past. And people may even tell you, man, you're so constantly stuck in your past. You're always thinking you're that person. You don't have to be that anymore. In Christ, you set you free or whatever. Then I want to talk about this simple fact that you and I can be stuck in our past. Christians do this too. Guys, like I said, how many of us think of ourselves as sinners saved by grace? Anybody said that about yourself? You're like, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And it's a beautiful thing. It's true, but it's not true. It's true. You're a sinner who is saved by grace. True. But... I think it's flipped. Here's the problem. Have you ever done an examination of the scriptures and look for the word sinner and actually open up the scriptures and read through it or or just done a word check or something like that? You'll discover every time the word sinner shows up, it's in the past tense. We were sinners. I was a sinner. The only time it shows up in the, there's one time it shows up where he says, I am a sinner. And that is Paul. And he says, I am the greatest of all sinners. 
And then the, we, and we go, see, aha. And then the very next sentence he says, but that was so that Christ could save me and reveal his glory through me. So he's talking about it in a past tense method. What's going on is the, is the reality is we have become a people who, yes, were sinners, but now you are something else. You are in Christ. Let me give you a simple example of this. Found in the book of 1 Corinthians. The Corinthian church was not a wonderful place. It was a pretty messed up place. To be honest, they, this isn't like the perfect church people. These are guys who had a guy who was sleeping with his mother-in-law, and they thought, that's so you know, progressive and amazing. And Paul says, no, kick him out of the church. And, and so this is, this is a little confused group, but this is what he says to them. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, that's the promiscuous, anybody who's having sex outside of marriage, outside of a male-female relationship in marriage, he's saying, look, this is not okay. Nor people who are not worshiping the God of the Bible, idolaters, nor adulterers, anybody who's flirting and playing games when they're still married, no. Nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, guys who want more and need more and have more and still want more, nor drunkards. That's somebody gets drunk for parties or gets drunk in general or an alcoholic anywhere in that zone. The people who get addicted to things that are giving, that are changing their, their mental state and nor revilers. This is abusive, verbally abusive. This is physically abusive. Revilers are those who use their power and their anger to curse and harm others, nor swindlers. That's shady business deals. None of these people will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I'll just tell you right now, we stop right there. Everybody in this room, I guarantee you, could find their label from their past. You've stolen something somewhere. You've had some kind of sexual immorality, especially in our culture. It's very, very likely. We've all at some point probably worshiped a God or ourselves outside of the God of the universe. We all succumb to greed. Guys, this is just us. And yet, it's not. And such were some of you. Look at that. Let's say that out loud. And such were some of you. In fact, emphasize the were. And such were some of you. Were. Not any longer. You were that. You are no longer this. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ with the Spirit of our God. Wait, time out. You were what? You once were these things, and now you were sanctified. Now, <clears throat> how many have heard the word sanctified before? Only I didn't say it right, right? We're supposed to say, and you're sanctified. That's how you're supposed to say it. Because that is a powerful word that we're supposed to emphasize. But here's the problem with that word. What in the world does it mean? Sanctified, it means to be holy. And when we think of holy, we think of these people who don't do anything before fear that they may sin. I don't dance, and I don't chew, and I don't go with girls who do. No way! We don't do these things because we might sin. That's not holy. A sanctified person is somebody who's so active in the things of God that they obey God in their activity and so they don't sin because you know what sin is? It's to do things God told you not to do and to ignore the things God told you to do. So when you do the things God told you to do and you go do them excitedly and vibrantly, you're sanctified. You're not sinning. 
And the idea is that God set you apart. He made you his holy instrument to do great things in this world and to shape and care and love people. And he says, now I've made you this. this, is a, this there's two processes here going on. There's who you are already, that God already knows you to be. And then as we get there, we're sanctified. He says, you've already been sanctified. He already knows you as a saint. I'm not talking about the football team. And I'm not talking about Mother Teresa and some super spiritual giant. I'm talking about each one of you who has come to know Jesus Christ. He set you apart and put you in his mindset to, as a saint in heaven. He knows who you are already. See, who you were is a short amount of time. Who God knows you to be is who you will be for eternity. And he says, you're sanctified. You're a saint. You're set apart for the rest of your life. This is who you are. Why are we focused back here? on this short little blip to define ourselves. No, no, what you and I are, we're not sinners saved by grace. We're saints who struggle with sin. And one day we will be saints who don't even struggle with sin anymore. Guys, we have been given and we've been sanctified in Jesus Christ. He has transformed us and he has promised us these things and they are ours in eternity and they are ours to take hold of. They are ours right now and such were some of you. This is exciting when we begin to realize the transformation that you and I get to have. And God gave us eternal labels and we need to wear them. I want to show you some more. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 9 through 15, and if you'll open your Bibles to this, I want you to stay there. We're going to look back through this for the rest of the time. But in Colossians chapter 3, it reads very clearly of some of these labels. He says, first of all, don't lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. And when they put on the new self, they put on the new self, which is being renewed in its knowledge and after the image of its creator. So there's a process. You are these things already, but we need right now on earth to put off the old. Just drop it. Stop the focus back there. Put on the new. Put on the new focus. Get your new eyes forward. Like putting on new clothing, set yourself into a new direction. And here's what he says. When you do this, there, there's not Greek and Jew and circumcised and uncircumcised and barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but, all is, but Christ is all and in all. Now what he's saying right there is, in their world, this was the dividing markers. Of value. In their world, if I was Jewish and you were Greek, that means you were a Gentile. Dirty, 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 I don't go to your house. You eat pork. Okay, if I'm a Roman, I'm going, I eat pork. And I love it. And you're all crazy barbarians. Because you're not civilized like us Roman folk. Or you're a Scythian, which is even worse. Because you're worthless at that point. But if you're a slave, well, then you're not free. And this is the way that they marked value of human beings. In fact, they would actually say your soul was designed according to these value structures. And he says, this is ridiculous. In Christ, but Christ is all and in all. We are one in Christ. Our values are equal. Stop living in the old labels. So start living in the new ones. And so he says, you want to know what they are? Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Notice he's just told you what your labels are. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, you're holy and you're beloved. God wanted you and God made you holy and he loves you. If you're a Christian, you can be guaranteed God wants you in heaven, God loves you, and he wants and he knows you as being 
sinless in Christ, all in Christ. And so, put on then compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. He says, here, here, you want to know where you're going to go? You want to know what you're going to be? You're these things. You're, you're sanctified. You're holy. You're a saint. You're set apart. You're, you're, you're chosen by God. You're beloved. You are not these things. Just remember, such were some of you. Done. Now you're sanctified. So what do we do with this? Where do we go with this? We want to aim at the eternal labels that God has given us. You want to aim in that direction. You want to see that those things are taken hold of. Again, I think back to Stephen Covey's book, um, uh, and I believe it's one of the, Stephen Covey, one of the Coveys anyway. And uh, he, uh, he writes at the beginning of his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, is that you and I ought to think about our funeral. Imagine what they say about you at your funeral. Write those things down. Because if you, what kind of grandpa did you want to be? What kind of dad do you want to be? What kind of stories do you want them to tell about, about what you were like? Was it a great vacation? Was it that you cared about them? Man, that's what you want them to hear. Then you better set a plan to make those things happen and become that kind of a person. It's not going to happen to join a gym and somebody says, hey, I met you in the future. You were like totally buff. You're like, sweet. If you stick around this gym, that's going to happen. You show up every day and just sit. You don't use the machinery. No, that's not how it works. You've got to set a plan. You've got to set yourself in a direction. If this is who we're going to be, it's because God's got us in a trajectory that the things we go through, the pains we face, the suffering you're going to go through, your past issues, all this is there to shape you into who you are going to be. And so why not, like Stephen Covey says, set out to become that way? Only the difference is don't be so short-sighted as to only look at your funeral. Maybe you should look beyond it to who you are in eternity. Maybe it's time to envision ourselves far beyond our day of our death to who we will be for every day on the new heavens and the new earth in Christ. And so what do you do? How do you do this? Well, we need to know what that looks like. You need to have a focus and you need to have a plan. Go back to your Bible and look down here on Ephesians chapter 3. God gave you the focus. He says, look, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices, done with the old self, put on the new self. What's the focus? It's to put on the new self. Keep that focus that you are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And it looks like somebody with compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. So he says, gives you all this information. He says, here's a focus, and now you've got to set a plan. But you've got to keep the focus. How do you keep that focus? Well, to be honest, you need to preach to yourself the truth. This is an old practice, not practiced much anymore. We probably tell, say, talk to yourself, you know. I'm good enough, and I'm smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like me. No, no, not that kind of talking to yourself. What I'm talking about is that you and I would get engaged in what's called preaching the word to yourself. The Puritans used to do this. They would engage and they'd say, yes, I've sinned, but I remember I am dead to sin. I am now alive to Christ. I do not come to him on my own righteousness. I come to him on his righteousness. And they would preach to themselves that I have come to this place where I have been sanctified and set free. And so you and I have this opportunity to remind ourselves of these truths, but that may mean something. You got to memorize some scripture. 
You probably should memorize at least the Galatians 5 passages where you've got the fruit of the Spirit and this Colossians chapter 3 passage here. You say, man, I can't memorize. I'm no good at memorization. Yes, you are. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Yeah, that's helped you the rest of your life, hasn't it? I mean, when I was a kid and I was watching television, you know, on public broadcasting, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. I'm like, that ball is moving through psychedelic things. It's trippy. I don't know. Anybody else remember that? Maybe I'm the only one. Yeah, okay, thank you. Whew, I thought it was a bad dream. Um, but hey, you had to do your multiplication tables, your addition to your subtraction tables, all that stuff. You had to drill these things into your brain, only to realize there were calculators later. But you needed to know how those things worked. And what they were doing, you see, here's the, here's the crazy thing. Yeah, your, your addition and subtraction and your ABCs and your one, two, threes were necessary for you to have a great life. You memorized them. I hate to say it. Some of you have been Christians a long, long time and you have yet to memorize your ABCs. Because the singular goal of the Christian life is not to know what all your sins are. It's important to repent from. But you've got to memorize who God has made you to be. You've got to come to the understanding what the scriptures say he has saved you unto and who you are becoming if you're ever going to have success and direction in the spiritual life. It's the spiritual ABCs. How can we say we're in Christ if we don't know what in Christ looks like or means? How can we say we're going to be like him if we don't even know the attributes that that appears to be? How can we strive and transform and be renewed in our minds if we don't even know what we're being renewed to? The spiritual ABCs are laid out in these simple virtue lists here in Colossians and Galatians and a bunch of other amazing places in Scripture. But let's just think about these. What's that focus? That focus is these simple things that you and I would put on these things. And the first one is to put on compassion, compassion hearts. Literally, the term is, it's this twisting of the gut out of compassion for somebody. It's the thinking like this. And honestly, we have, a great, we have a great place that these things can be practiced, guys. As Christians, you're blessed. Because God has blessed you with this one location where a bunch of humanity gathers together on a regular basis around the same time to challenge, and challenge each other to get in the same direction. And it's called traffic. I'm dead serious. All of these things can be developed in traffic. Try having compassion in traffic and watch what happens. You're sitting there, you're angry, you're like, why are these people on the freeway when I need to get to work? Ah!" And you forget, maybe somebody's on the freeway trying the same thing, only he's got to panic because if he's late today, he loses his job. Or another guy sitting there flying through traffic, trying to cut people off and get to where he needs to go, not because he's some young punk, because he found out his mom is dying in the hospital. Yeah, these things happen. And our compassion sometimes is so little. I mean, we don't give to Harvey and we don't worry about Irma because, hey, man, that stinks. No, we think about the fact that somebody's going to come home to their house with mud thick on the floors. Their walls are ruined. The toys are defeated. And where their little children grew up and played, their memories are wiped. Where they poured thousands of dollars into care for their families, it's all gone. When they walk their child into that home, they look at them and say, Mommy, why did this happen in my room? Until we can place ourselves in situations like this, we have no compassion. 
And we are not like our Lord who would look upon those who are hurting and his, his compassion would twist. How can we pray and how can we care if we don't have compassion? The Proverbs 12 says, whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. Here's what I find funny. We're so far more compassionate for animals than we are humans today. And the point of this verse wasn't to say, be compassionate to animals. It was actually to say, a righteous man is compassionate at least to his animals. How much more is he to humanity? And yet now we're not even that way. And it's a great warning for us that we as Christians ought to be concerned because what are we going to be is we're going to be compassionate people for eternity. We're going to have compassionate hearts. And it's not bad to feel compassion towards someone else. Put on then also kindness. Kindness is intentionally helping somebody in need. Kindness is called letting the person in when they turn their blinker on. And I don't mean speeding up so they can get in behind you. No, kindness is intentionally finding a need and meeting it, being helpful for somebody, being helpful for that neighbor, knowing your neighbors well enough that you know how to be helpful to them, knowing that that person's lawn is barren, not because they're dumb and can't figure out how to turn their sprinklers on, but to find out that they've been out of work or that they're shut in because they're hurt and sick and they needed somebody to come over and care because their neighbor's didn't listen, and their family lives in another state. You know, being neighborly doesn't mean just telling people about Jesus. It means knowing the needs of other people and being kind, the kindest people on our streets. It opens our way to compassion and kindness. Put on kindness as Jesus was kind to us. Put on humility by, by learning to be thankful. This is, this is hard one, man. I'm a proud person and I know it. And so it, to me, this has been the biggest struggle for my life is to realize, you know what I got to do with my past? I got to thank God for it. That's it. Look, I didn't get to pick my parents, my genetics, the town I was born in, the schools I went to, the teachers that I had. These were all given to me. And they were great things for me. And for you, they were great things. And some of us, our greatness, we think's us. We made ourselves. No, no, no. Everything that you have was given by God. Maybe you should just stop every week and just thank God. Just spend some time listing a thank you to the God who gave you your life and the things that you've got that are good. And just say, you know, Lord, I wouldn't be in the good places that I'm in without you. That kills pride. The second thing is, whatever your anxieties are, to dish it to him. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. This is called, thank you, God. I didn't have control of the past. I appreciate what you gave me. Hey, God, I don't have any control of the future. Would you please help me here? That'll keep your pride down. It'll enable you to live in a humility that's effective and not false. And so... Next is to put on gentleness by being courteous and civil. This is back to manners. Back to Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. You want to be understood? Understand. You want them to speak well to you? Speak well to them. You don't want them to yell at you? Maybe you shouldn't yell at them. And it's just the idea of common courtesy. Back And you could get more. You can go back and look at our last sermon on that. But this is the idea of being a person who is gentle. He's not angry and brash and in your face. And next is patience. Amen. <laughs> traffic, right? There we go. You can learn, tra- you can learn patience in traffic by hoping for others 
and being mindful of God's justice, just remember when that guy cuts you off, just ask God, God, can I be there when you get him back for that? Can I just be in that court meeting? I'd love that. Thank you. Just, just to get some satisfaction so I can be patient with him a little bit more. And that's just one way to just let it go a little bit, you know, but really, honestly, it's, it's hoping for others, seeing that their suffering and your suffering with them is shaping and transforming you and them. And that's the goal that we would develop together. And we're being patient because none of us have arrived yet. We're all a work in process. And finally, put on love. And this isn't just accept everybody where they're at. Love is the ability to care for somebody and give your life for them that they may become greater. This is what we do for our children. And let's be honest, it's not easy all the time. I see why some animals eat their children. <laughs> the children are scared right now. No, um, I've, we got our preschool, ahead of our preschool, and she's like, yes, amen, brother, I, I hear you. Because children can be infuriated, but we love them. We don't eat them. We love them. We care about them, and we give our lives away that they may become better. Because that's what love does. That's what love for one another does. We need to put that on especially as Christians. You see, and I I really hope that that's what we would do. What I'm challenging you to is to do something radically different than what normal people do. Normal people, they're like my son, Andrew. Andrew's my youngest. And he goes to bed at night and we have this little cuddle time and I hug him and I tell him his little Georgie story and I muss his hair and then he sleeps like this. And he just spins and gets sweaty and he's like that little boy. Gets up in the morning, he's like, hi, dad. Sits down with his big bowl of cereal. His hair is like all over the place. He's still in his little sweaty clothes. And you're like, dude, you need to go change. No, I'm okay. Dude, we're going to go to the store. You need to go put some clean clothes on. I'm wearing clothes. You wore those last night. I know. They stink like something I don't want to mention on a sermon. Uh Uh-huh. No, I didn't. He wants to wear the same clothes that he wore yesterday and the day before. He doesn't want to change. And some of you right now have been confronted with your past and the identities that you may be holding from what you've done or what you've been done to and these things. And I'm saying, you need to change your clothes. You're going, I don't want to change. But how can we grow in what Christ has called us to be if we're not willing to take off the old clothes and put on the new ones? You have a great list here of who you're going to be and what it means to put on Christ. Let's set a plan. Let's execute on that plan every day, every week, step by step, to become those compassionate, kind, patient, loving people that we all long to be. But maybe we've just gotten so focused on the past, we didn't hear God say, I'm with you. I made your mouth, I've given you the miracles. Let's go be free. Let's go be free. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have set us free. Thank you that you have made our mouths. Thank you that you've made our eyes. Thank you that you have given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And that you have not allowed us to be trapped in our past, but that we can literally let them go, take them off, and press into who you've made us to be. Help us to put that on. Help us to look forward and into the future of who you've made us to be and to live it out. God, thank you that redemption is not a moment in the past, but it's something you're transforming us in every single day. 
And that we are growing, growing and getting closer and closer to who you know us to be. Give us the strength and may we trust that you're with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.